0: Hey, listen, if you, if you got your Bibles, uh, you can get it out. We're going to jump around in a couple of texts today um, or tonight. But there's really an idea that I wanted to talk to you about. And, and as we move into 2016, there is a goal of this church and a goal that we have set forth. Um, we felt like we've done a good job casting vision in this house. Um, and that the vision of this house is to see four things happen. We want to see as many people as possible. Number one, know God. We want to see people know God. Number two, we want to see people find freedom. How many guys know just because you get saved doesn't mean everything goes away, right? Like we still deal with stuff. And so we want to see everyone in the house find freedom. We believe the best way for that to happen is in small groups. We want you to build relationships with people where you can be the real you, right? We have to be the fake us enough Let's build relationships where we can be the real us. Amen? And then uh, the third thing is we want you to discover your purpose. We believe God built you for a specific purpose. He built you for a reason. We want to help you find that. And then number four, we want you to make a difference. We want you to take that purpose. We want you to live it out. And we believe the best way to live a life with purpose um, is to make a difference in someone else's life. And so that's that's what we do here. Um, if you don't want to get behind that, then there's 1,199 other churches around here that you can probably check out. <laughs> um, but that's that's what we do here. But one of the things for 2016 that we're focused on and one of the things that we're gonna be very intentional about um, is discipleship and what that's going to look like. And in the months to come, the weeks and months to come, you're gonna hear about discipleship classes that we're opening up. Um, we've always used the growth track to disciple people, but we wanna go more. We wanna do more Um As far as leading people and discipling people, we believe that's the call of God on our lives. Amen. And so we want to do that as leaders. So we want to do that. So but the thing is, um, as a church, one of the focuses is that we want to bring glory to God through discipleship, which is the most instrumental part of the growth of our church. And so what I want you to understand is, because we're going to talk a lot about discipleship tonight, we're going to talk a lot about the disciples, and we're going to talk a lot about what it should mean to you. And so as we're talking about discipleship, what you have to understand as Christians, and if you're not saved in the house, you will get an opportunity at the end of this message. I pray that Jesus will will stir your heart so that you have a desire to know him, because quite frankly, it's the best life that you can live. Um, And so we pray that you would have a stirring in your heart to know him tonight, but there's the, the best life that you can live, but it also is a life that brings complications. It is a life that brings about things that we have to overcome. How many guys know that as soon as we got saved, things didn't just get easier, right? There is a natural part of life and it's not because you got saved, it's just life, right? People are like, man, it got harder after I got saved. And I'm like, no, you just pay attention more because you're sober for the other half of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, And so we have to so we have to the thing is is we have to put ourselves in a position where we understand that the gospel in its totality can change our life and it can transform us. However, if we do not have discipleship as an active part of who we are as Christians, we won't last long. And as a leader in the church, and we've been doing this for a long time, we see people come in and they're like, I'm all about it. They want life change. They want to pursue what it means to be a Christian. They like the idea of Christianity, but they're not fully committed to the lifestyle that it requires. And so we have to understand that discipleship, and what I mean by disciples, actively becoming a disciple of Christ, which means actively changing the old us into the us he desires, right? And so so many people come to us, they've been in the church for three months, six months, a year, and we start coming to them and say, hey, you know, you should really look at changing that part of your life. Oh, I thought you accepted me as I am. I did when you got here. But now there's some change that has to take place, right? And as we're gonna walk this journey out with Christ, there's a change that is gonna be consistent in our life where we become more of the reflection of Christ and less the reason why he died. And so we have to become. We have to actively pursue the reflection of Jesus in our lives. Amen. So you with me? And discipleship is how that actively happens. And so uh, what we have to understand is there's a four step process of discipleship, and so it starts number one. And if if there's any. Um, Matt Chandler fans in the house? I don't know if there is. I know there's one somewhere in here, but, uh, <laughs> but it, it, if there's any Matt Chandler, some of this will sound familiar too. But the first step is that we have to do it with gospel-centered worship, with gospel-centered community, gospel, gospel-centered service, and then the last, but absolutely not least, the gospel-centered multiplication. And what I mean by multiplication is that if Jesus is actively changing your life, you have no choice but to actively change someone else's. Because anything that's living grows. But anything that's that's dead doesn't, right? And so this is going to be a reflection type of message of like, what kind of Christian am I? What is Christ doing on the inside of me? All right, and we'll get into that in a few more minutes. But yeah, so gospel-centered worship. What I mean by gospel-centered is that the gospel, what we have to allow ourselves to focus on as Christians, as followers of Christ, is that the gospel has to be so real to us that it is literally interwoven into every aspect of our life, amen? Like it has to be something that completely transforms us and takes over our mind. So the thing is, is that gospel-centered worship is the fuel of discipleship. And we're not just talking about singing, although, man, I'm a worshiper. Like, I'm a, like, I love worship, like music, worship. Like, I love it. I'm, I'm in it, <laughs> you know. I've been on this worship team. We did it the other day. I'm on this worship team for 14 years, man, and I love it. Half of my life, actually, now that I think about that, has been spent on this worship team. And I wouldn't change it in the world, but there's so much more to worship than just music. That it is an active pursuit of Jesus with our life that should transform us. And so, uh, and you can ask a lot of people in the worship ministry, no, people don't come to us at 401 and we're like, here's a microphone, go at it. Like that just, <laughs> you're welcome, by the way. No, I'm just kidding. What, some of y'all are gonna get that in a minute. And y'all, y'all ever been to a church where it's like, why is that person singing? <laughs> like, who gave them a microphone? Anyways. So we we don't do that here. We have to understand that the gospel-centered worship is so much more than just music. And so worship is the heart-level motive of what drives our life. So worship, what we worship, is essentially who we are. What we worship is what drives us, right? What we worship is what wakes us up in the morning. And what we worship is not always God. I help you out. Whatever you think about when you first wake up in the morning is what is driving you. That's what you're worshiping. I told you, I wish I had a giant mirror, that reflection sermon right here for you <laughs> Like, Is that we have to be conscious, what is worship? What is it that changes us? I, I was, I'm so proud and I'm gonna pick out certain people in here, <clears throat> mainly because I can. Um, but my buddy Dave, um, Dave who was playing the drums tonight, I mean, a year ago, he was agnostic, man. He didn't even believe, like, he was like, I'm, he just didn't want anything to do with church. I remember the only time I ever saw him coming here, he was helping us move chairs after an event. And, uh, like, I could just tell, like, he was not about it. You know how sometimes you want to enter- entertain people with, like, hey, man, you should come out on a Sunday. And, like, you can tell by their face, like, that's pro- This no, I'm not going to do that right now. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? It was one of those. I was like, I shook his hand. I was like, nah, nope, not going to do it right now. <laughs> But thank God, thank God that, that the Holy Spirit came in and did something in his life that none of us could. You know what I mean? And, and so, but I, I love it because one of the things Dave came to me, he says, I play drums. And 15 people a year come to me and come say they play drums. You know what I mean? And then I realize that they just bang on drums. So, but Dave actually played drums. And so Dave goes through the infuse process, which is our, our process for placing musicians into the worship team and getting them trained. And um, he comes to me and he goes through that. But the Lord put it on my heart that no one goes through infuse without having a good understanding of not just music, but what it means to worship Jesus. And I'll never forget it. I, I turned on a song. And we took 15 minutes, and it was Dave, I think Candy was in here. Actually, a lot of the people that were on the stage tonight were, <laughs> were in that um, graduating class, if you will. And we turned on the song, and for like 20 minutes, um, we just kind of sat in the presence of the Lord. And I talked to them for a few minutes about what it means to worship Christ. It's not just music. When everything's big and everything's glorious and we got strobing lights and all that stuff, like all that stuff is cool and I love it and I helped design it. So I'm the one that put it in here. Um, And so I really, really like it. But one of the things we have to understand, man, is it has to become a part of us. And I'll never forget. The reason I brought that up is he messaged me afterwards. He said, what is that song? I'm going to listen to it every day. (laughs) Because... Because I, I was able in that moment to show him that this has to be a part of you. And and guys, worship has to be, become a part of who we are. And it is a part of who we are. The question is who do we worship or what do we worship? what do we talk about when we get around our friends? What do we talk about when we get around our coworkers? What do we talk about with our spouse? Are we worshiping our job? Are we worshiping money? Are we worshiping making money? Are we worshiping anything? Are we worshiping the next jet skis we want to buy? Are we worshiping our boyfriend or our girlfriend? Are we worshiping our spouse? What are we worshiping in our life? Because whatever we're worshiping, anything above Christ Man, it's not beneficial. Let's get into it. Gospel, the next one is gospel-centered community. So if gospel-centered worship is the fuel for discipleship, gospel-centered community is the context. And so what happens is we get into a gospel-centered community. And what we have to understand is that God did not God called us to himself, but then he didn't just call us to himself. He called us to each other. And so for us at small groups, man, we want every single person to be part of a small group. Why are small groups important? And pastor comes to me every small group semester. He's like, let me do some of the trainings. I'm like, no, <laughs> because like, I love small groups. If you talk to me about like a problem you're going through, I'm like, what small group are you in? That's my first question I ask you. You're like, oh man, I've, you know, me and my wife, I'm like, well, we have a marriage small group. You should come be a part. Like small groups are so much part of, it. why? I, I was in the church. I've been in the church my whole life. And it wasn't until I got around people that I genuinely loved and I genuinely cared for and I knew they genuinely cared about me that my life changed. You feel me? I knew about Jesus. I knew what he did on the cross. And I I felt like I had a relationship with him. But how many guys know that if you don't have a support system surrounding you, come on, somebody. Y'all looking at me like I got three heads in this house. Right? I know some of y'all's story right? I'm in the church. I'm out of the church. You know, some of y'all taking like eight week vacations from Sundays. Listen, like why? Because things in life get so busy. And so community is huge, right? And so because worship is a fuel and community is a context, you need to know this, that Christianity is not a set of truths. Uh, that are affirmed, right? So what, what is Christianity? Because I wanna break this down before we get into it. There's, there's a certain topic I wanna get into tonight and it won't take long, but what is Christianity? See, what Christianity is not is it's not a set of truths that are affirmed. And so what does that mean? Christianity is not a set of rules that we just all follow, right? And I remember we were in a conversation and one of my buddies, we were talking to someone who had lost a family member. And this person was acknowledging the fact that that family member probably didn't make it to heaven right? Outside of something they didn't know about, their family member didn't go to heaven. And it's, I know that's a hard conversation to have, but just because your friend died doesn't mean you're going to a better place. Did they know Jesus is the question. And y'all are church folks in here. Y'all better get some pep in your step tonight. Is the coffee serving? That's why, man. (laughs) Next, next month we having coffee for y'all. Y'all sitting there like, man, I just got off work. Hold on. (laughs) Shots of rock stars going. Anyway, so listen, that we have to find our place. Yeah, I know. He didn't even get me one. Um but that we have to find our place in this understanding that Christianity is not about a bunch of truths that we follow, but in addition to that, we can't just give away Christianity so freely as if someone doesn't have to earn it. You with me? Like, for example, if someone passes away, we all wanna say they went to heaven, but chances are they probably didn't. If they, if they never talked to you about Jesus, they never confessed Jesus, they never lived a lifestyle that reflected Jesus, then how do we have a grasp or an understanding on what Christianity really is for them? You with me? And so the thing is, is Christianity is not a bunch of truths that are affirmed by God, but Christianity is a genuine life change through the spirit of God. genuine life change through the spirit of God. And I. unfortunately, I believe and I see that there are tons of people walking in the house of God, in and out, not just our house, but houses all over the country and all over the world that are confessing Christianity, that are walking out moral obligations. They're walking around with moral changes in their life. They're doing good things, but they're not doing it for the good person. They're not doing it for the king. They're not doing it for the Lord. They're not doing it for Jesus. And so they're going to go. One day, they're going to die. One day, everything's going to pass away. One thing, all of this is going to go away. They're going to stand before God and they're going to think that they're going to walk through those gates and God's going to say, I never even knew you. They were at church every week. They were doing all the right things, but we have to understand that Christianity is not a set of rules that we follow. Christianity is a life change through the gospel. Life change through the gospel, through the truth of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So it's not just enough to have head knowledge. And I, I wanna get that in tonight because a lot of times, man, Sunday by Sunday by Sunday, we're focused on the lost. Man, we, we, take, we make it a point. Sunday morning here is about introducing people to Jesus in a very real way. But what we also have to understand is that we have to have moments of reflection where we say, all right, what part of my life is reflecting Christ? What part of my life is, is showing the Jesus that I'm saying I got. And then gospel-centered service. So service is the overflow from worship and community. So then there's gospel-centered service. And so many people in the church, and especially there's a lot of dream teamers in the house right now that serve in so many parts of the dream team here on Sunday mornings. Yeah, we appreciate you guys. But here's the deal guys, is that we can't get stuck with what we think is gospel-centered service and we're giving out of the reservoir as opposed to giving out of the overflow. I'm gonna say that again, because some of y'all ain't grabbing it. When we give, when we serve in the kingdom, when we are serving people at work, we can't be serving out of what we know in our head. We have to be serving out of what God's already done in our hearts. And so many people in the church are dying themselves, yet they're trying to minister to others. And dream team, you gotta put yourself in a position where you are serving out of the overflow. What is Jesus doing in your heart? And out of the abundance of that, it flows out of you. So fueled by the adoration of Jesus Christ is a context of community and glad-hearted service, which overflows to multiplication. And so, what I want to talk to you about, and this is kind of the meat of it, is that there's what they call an ebb and flow. There's a, a coming and a going, uh, an ebb and flow of multiplication, um, and there's an ebb and a flow of gospel-centered praise and worship. And so we see um, ebb and flow. And so what that is, it's most commonly referred to and seen in the tides. And so, like you guys know, tides come in, tides, we're on the beach, right? Like tides come in, tides go out. You know what I mean? Don't fall asleep three feet from the shoreline because you're gonna wake up full of water. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, so the ebb and flow of the tides comes and goes. And what we have to understand in life is that we are gonna find ourselves in constant positions where we are working in the ebb and the flow of what the spirit of God is doing around us, through us, in us, within our family, within our jobs, because everyone has this like understanding that as soon as we come to know Jesus, everything's great. Right? And so what's going to happen is the Spirit's going to break that down. But what I want to do tonight is give you an understanding of why that's happening. Right? Because we talked about in the faith series, we've talked about in a bunch of different series, how things aren't always great when we're serving the King. And so what is it? Why is God allowing us to go through seasons? And I kind of want to point that out to you tonight and hopefully, hopefully give you a better understanding as to what's happening. So there's, uh, we have to understand the purpose of what God's doing, not only in us, but as we are a part of the ebb season. So the church, so here's, here's the ebb and flow idea. So the ebb is, there's a flowing in, right? And so when we, when we come to know Jesus, how many guys remember that moment where God radically transforms your life? Does anyone remember that moment, right? How many guys remember like you could have walked through hell with a squirt gun, you know what I'm saying? Like bam, bam, bam. You're on cloud nine. You know what I mean? Like you could eat anything and not gain a pound. Like life was perfect. (laughs) Only the adults know what I'm talking about right now. All these teenagers are like, what are you talking about? You'll get it. After you turn 21, you'll get it. But so what happens is this, so we get into this ebb of, what, of, uh, of the spirit of God moving in our lives. And, and a lot of times the very first one is when we first get saved and we come to know Jesus, things are great. And it's like this influx, the Holy Spirit is doing things in our lives and he's moving on our behalf and he's, and he's changing things, he's changing our lives and everything's happening. And then all of a sudden, like there's this flow, right? The tides recede. Don't, don't act like y'all don't know what I'm talking about right now, right? And it's like, will you wake up, And you're crying out to God for something. And it's like, are you even up there? (laughs) And can I tell you something? That God's grace, God's love, God's presence is more vast than the ocean, yet the tides still recede. And so we have to come to an understanding of what's happening when the tides recede. And so the purpose of what God's doing, not only in us, but part of this, So and then... So this is the danger of the church because this is what's happened, right? The worst thing that ever could have happened to the church, like the institution, not us, because I think we're awesome, but the institution of the church, right? The worst thing that happened is that they ever found something that worked. You feel me? How many guys have been in church for a while, right? You've You've been a part of churches, in and out of churches, right? How many guys have ever found out, like let the church find something that works as far as like getting people in the door? And bro, they're gonna do that thing for the next 56 years. We were talking, I was talking with a pastor. We were working with another church at a different state. And they're like, yeah, we have great contemporary praise and worship. If I hear the word contemporary, I'm already kind of like, mm. But they're like, we have great contemporary praise and worship. And I'm like, okay, that's awesome to tell me more. And so I go to their worship service and they're doing like uh, Days of Elijah and Revelation Song. And I'm like, that's not, that was contemporary 15 years ago. for those of you that like aren't in that circle, contemporary means like up-to-date or modern. I was like, that's not, that, never mind, right? Because like, we grab a hold of these things and it's like, man, this is working. I'm just gonna keep doing this. Guess what, guys? The church is guilty of it, but we're just as guilty of it in our own personal lives, right? Like, oh man, I went to this place at this time and I turned on this song and I felt the spirit of God so powerfully. So what do we do the next day, right? We go to the same place at the same time, try to turn on the same song and we're like, man, I just don't feel like I felt it yesterday, I'm telling y'all, y'all are on another level tonight, man that we find ourselves in that position where we're trying to make this Holy Spirit do the same thing he did yesterday and it's the ebb and flow. So what we have to understand is that the church has done that, but we've also found ourselves caught up in the ebb of the Spirit where it's just everything's flowing in and it's like, man, all right, that's how we make it happen. And we have to understand that God does not fit inside of the box that we try to contain him in, but God's understanding, knowledge, and power goes so far beyond what we can even think or contain. And so we have to allow ourselves to move with the Spirit of God and exactly what he's trying to accomplish. So we have to understand as gospel-centered worshipers and in the community and in service that to see gospel-centered multiplication, we have to fully embrace this one singular idea. And I'm going to give it to you right now. If you're taking notes, write it down. Your life isn't about you. Boom. (laughs) Boom. right? Because here's, here's what we've done. And whether we're saved, whether we're not saved, we've all done this, right? We, 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 we're always looking for what's next, right? So like we are in elementary school, man, we can't wait to get to middle school. When we're in middle school, we can't wait to get to high school. When we're in high school, we can't wait just to get out of high school for God's sakes, right? And so we get, we get out of high school, we're all like, could we please go back? And then, and so we, right? And so we get out of high school, and we're like, "Oh man, we need to find a job." We find a job, like, "Man, I can't wait to get a promotion." We get the promotion, I can't wait for the next promotion. We get the, I can't wait till I get married, and then we get married. I can't wait till we have kids, and when you kids, I can't wait till the kids get out of my house, and then I can't, like. (laughs) And so, like, the kids get out of our house, man. I can't wait till our kids have grandkids, and then I can't wait for our grandkids, you know. And and, like, I can't believe my grandkid to do this, and our whole life is about looking for the next thing. And as long as we are living the lifestyle of what is constantly coming in, and that's the ebb lifestyle, right? Everything's coming at us. Everything's good. I can't wait for this, and this is coming, and that's coming, and that's coming, but let the, let the rug get yanked out from under us. Let the flow moment come where it all just recedes, and life is like, whoa, you gotta pull the e-brake. You not only didn't get that promotion, you got the pink slip while you were at it. You know what I'm saying? Like, all these things, and life just gets yanked out from under you, and in that moment, you realize one of two things, either number one, God hates me, or number two, he's doing something with me that I don't like and I don't understand. Because, and here's the thing, I was talking with someone the other day, they were telling me, number one, they were telling me about how bad life was, and I wanted to, y'all know the Batman Robin meme? Right, y'all know which one I'm talking about? That's what I felt like. So anyways, but I, they were telling me about how bad life was. And I was like, man, you don't even, you don't even know, <laughs> you know, like they, they don't really know what we're going through as a family. So I was just kind of like, and that kind of, I don't know, that's contextualization. Like it puts everything into context for us, obviously, but life, I understand everyone goes through things, but we were just talking. And I was just like, man, you have to understand, you have to understand that God, and, and I preached a sermon on this and I know a lot of you guys heard it. But either we make our life about us and how unfair it is, or we recognize that the only way the world is going to see Christ is through us. Right? And so when Paul was in prison, when Paul was going through afflictions, when Paul was going through problems, what was he constantly doing? Right? Let the afflictions fall on me. Right? So that they can see Christ in me. And a lot of times the only way, see, the world doesn't care. And we talked about this. The world does not care that you can talk about Jesus when everything's going right. Teenagers, when you got the boyfriend or girlfriend of your dream and everything's going great and everything's going right, guess what? Your friends don't care what you got to say about Jesus then. They want to know if your parents go through a divorce, are you going to cling to them in that moment? Adults, they, people don't care if Jesus is great when you got the promotion. They want to know if you're going to cling to Jesus when you didn't. They're going to want to know if, if you cling to Jesus when you don't have the job at all. They want to know if you're going to cling to Jesus when you don't know how you're going to pay your light bill. Because we're guilty, man. As Christians, well, we just got to trust God, brother. Pat him on the back, right? But it's in our moments of affliction. What do we reflect when we're walking in pain as opposed to everything being great? I told you all, man, reflection sermon. We just, here it is. So life isn't about it. Acts 13, one through three says this, that uh, Acts 13, one through three, if you're writing it down, if you're turning, don't bother turning to it. I'll be done when you get there. Now in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius, Cyrene, Minion, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. And so what happens here, and this is like where a lot of us are at. I'm a, how many of you guys are type A personalities, right? Like as soon as you walk in the room, take it over. I'm in control. We're gonna do it my way, right? Until you're dealing with a three-year-old. And it's like, all right, fine. You know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Right, but, but how many guys, type A personalities in the house? Where you at? You can raise your hand. It's okay. It's a charismatic church. Right? Type A. How many guys are like type B, C, whatever else is left in the, I don't even know what else is out there. I'm just a type A, right? Don't care. I don't care that I don't care. And I don't care that you don't care that I don't care, right? Like that's you guys. So myself... I'm a a switcher guy, so I can turn it on and off, right? So when I walk in the church, I'm very much a type A personality. Like, this is how we're doing things, right? Anyone that's on my teams, as far as my coaches, you know how I am. Like, let's get into gear, let's go. Um, If you catch me outside of church, Remember the stress sermon that I preached a few weeks ago? Like it just is what it is and it's just that's me outside of church, okay? And any guys in my small groups know that it's the truth. <laughs> like I can just turn it off and I just don't care about anything once I get outside of church, right? And so here's the deal that we, uh, we, we get ourselves into is that, so the type A personalities and a lot of the apostles and a lot of the those guys were that way. And so in Acts 13, what they did is they like, all you type A cats, they would have completely broke you down because they came in and we come into the meeting, right? We come in with the intention of praying. We come in with the intention of going to church. We come in with all these ideas like, okay, we're gonna come in. We're gonna worship, you know, for 20 minutes. Then we're gonna we're gonna pray uh, and then the spirit's gonna move and then we're gonna get out of the way and everything's gonna be good and we're gonna go eat at, you know, Olive Garden or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Praise God for the OG. So like, whatever it is. So it's just, so we come in, right? Type A personalities. So they would have completely broken you down in that moment. I'm just letting you know right now. Because what happened is they come into the meeting. We're talking about these five or six guys right now. They come into the meeting and they're like, uh, so what are we gonna do? They're like, oh, you know, we're just gonna adore God for a few minutes. We're just gonna praise Jesus. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, and then so how that's, that's 15 minutes. And then what do we, then what are we gonna do? Oh uh, you know man, we're just gonna we're just gonna adore Jesus for a while. And we're just gonna enjoy his presence. Right. And then So what time does the chicken come out? I don't know. No, we're just we're not even gonna set a time, we're just gonna adore Jesus for a while, man. We're just gonna sit and right? How many guys already? Like, I'm you're you're like, nope, I can't do it. I can't do it, right? Like Yeah. <laughs> Is that 15 minutes, 16 minutes? Is there a third chorus? Like, how long are we gonna do this, right? And so they totally broke that down. So in Acts 13, they completely like broke down the type A personalities, right? And so here's what happened. And so the ebb is that they came in and they worshiped. So two points to the scripture that I wanna give you. Number one is that they worshiped. And so what it means to worship is to ascribe value to or to exalt or to make much of. And so what you need to understand Number one is that you were designed for worship. Make this mental note, write it down, put it on your kid's forehead, whatever. You were designed for worship. You were created to worship. Everyone, look to the person next to you and say, I was created to worship, right? I was created to worship. You were designed to worship. Every single person, can I tell you this? Every single person is going to worship Jesus at some point. Even those that never make it to heaven are going to worship Jesus. You want to know why? Because he's going to be exalted either in his grace or in his wrath, but he's going to be exalted. So we were all created to worship The problem is, is that a lot of times that that our worship gets focused on things that are not in God's plan, right? And I can point that out to you, especially I can always tell when fall rolls around because all my Christian friends go from God is so good to Roll Tide. Or go dogs, or Seminoles, or War Eagle, or whatever. And I'm not here to start a war in this church, so don't, <laughs> but I'm just, right? Like, how, many, how many guys, we are in the South, man. Like, and how many guys know when fall rolls around, like football fans can smell it in the air, you know? Like the first breeze rolls through, they're like, <sniffs> football season. Someone's sewing pink skin together right now, right? Like, some of y'all are so in tune. Like, Nick Saban rolls out of bed. You're like, I'm rolling out of bed with him. Like, we're <laughs> one in this moment. And so, right? So, and listen, I mean, I, I mean, I like football. I don't, I'm not nearly, some of y'all are, but I, I mean, I like football. So the whole thing is this, right? And some of you guys are like, well, what do you like, poetry? Like, you know, I like football. I do. But the thing, like, I went into, um, one of my friends. It was his birthday, so I went to go get him a gift. He's a Gators fan, so, um, huh? There was three of you. There was three times more than I thought there'd be. So, uh, and so we went to. Whoa, whoa. So we went into. Uh, I went into the store. What is it? For Bama or what? I don't remember what it's called. But there's a store where it's like all like like, you know, local teams. And man, you, you would have thought, I thought I walked into like some kind of sports temple, right? Like there's a veil that you don't go behind unless you're like a certain level of fan, you know what I mean? Like you got to cleanse yourself before you touch certain jerseys. And it's like, got to make sure you pray long enough and don't touch the golden ropes. Like, it's like crazy. So, um, but but seriously, when we find ourselves, we constantly are going to find ourselves in these positions where we are allowing certain things in our life to disrupt the ebb in our life of the Spirit, the coming of the Spirit, the, the, the flushing of the Spirit, the nurturing and the overwhelming power of what God wants to do. A lot of times we are going to cut off the tide of what Jesus wants to accomplish in our life merely because we are worshiping something other than him. Let me help you understand what usually doesn't work well. God, I don't have time for you. 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 God, football, wife, kids, money, job, uh, career, whatever. Oh, hey, I really need you to pay my light bill. Where are you at? Why? We've disrupted the ebb and the flow of what God's doing in our life, man. So we're we're asking God, God, I don't know where you are. God's like, I don't know where you've been. That we've interrupted the ebb and the flow of what God's trying to do. And so the thing is, is that, so it's not that Jesus needs to be worshiped. It's that you need to worship rightly. We're all worshiping. The question is what are we worshiping? And then the next thing is that they fasted and they prayed. And so what it is, is that fasting, and, and like, if you look up fasting right now, if you Google fasting, you're going to find all kinds of stuff of like, it, it, it's almost become like non-spiritual whatsoever, right? You look at fasting, it's like all the health experts, you need intermittent fasting, it's going to make you healthier, you know, it's going to remove disease, I'm like, That's, how's that working out for you, you know what I mean? So, but the thing is that we have to understand what fasting is and what fasting is not, because fasting is not about what it does for you physically, but fasting especially what's happening in Acts 13, is that they're saying that Jesus is better than. You with me? So like, they're in that moment, they're fasting, they're not eating food. And how many guys, how many guys have ever gone on a fast before, right? How many guys have ever tried to fast food completely, right? You're like, no, nah, man, 21 days, no food, right? Come day 0.25, right? Like, <laughs> oh, Jesus, Right? Like the olive gardens never look so good, man. Like, all you can eat pasta bowls, and it's just like, all right, listen, get thee behind me, Satan. You know what I'm saying? Like, and the thing is, is, is so they're in that moment in Acts 13, they're fasting. And so what we what we understand, and that's why I think, number one, I think where we are as a church right now is so huge because, man, I, I felt like the church took the last 21, the August 21 days of prayer of prayer and fasting, they took it more serious than we ever have as a church. And we've seen God do amazing things in the last few months because of that. Like God has supernaturally, even some of your lives have been completely changed by either you fasting or someone fasting on your behalf. And so God has done so supernatural things through fasting. But what fasting does is it takes you to where you're denying yourself, number one, but then you're saying God is better than this, number two. And so they were sitting up there, I can promise you, they weren't so wrapped up in the Holy Spirit that their stomachs weren't growling. Their stomachs growling was a example of them saying, you know what, man, I'm so hungry, but I don't wanna leave this place because God is so good. I don't wanna leave where God is. And so when we're fasting, it's not just about denying ourselves, but it's about recognizing what's better than what we want. What's gonna feed us? And so Jesus is better than is the statement. And so we have to understand that if, that if Jesus is better than, everything else gets righted no matter what. And so what happens is that when we fast, we're selling ourselves, and sometimes we fast food, but in fasting food, God is going to point out things in our life that aren't right. How many of you guys ever fasted food, but you had something else in your life, a relationship, something that wasn't right as well. And you, you're just getting convicted like all day long. Like, man, I gotta get rid of this thing. Like you feel like God just gotta, sh- Spotlight just beaming down on top of you. Why? Because in that moment, he's saying, If I'm better, then I need to be better than every other Savior that you have in your life. Because what we do, and it's part of our sinful humanistic nature, is that we allow Jesus to be replaced by other Saviors in our life, right? We call them crutches or comforts. To where we're in our life and we're going through pain we're going through struggle we cling to and the question is what do you cling to when you're going through pain when you're going through struggle what is it that you grab a hold of is it jesus or is it whatever What is it that we cling to? What is it that we grab a hold of in our life so that we have to understand that when we're saying Jesus is better than, we're saying that there are no other saviors but Jesus, And so if Jesus is better than, and I'll give you an example, if Jesus is better than, then I don't need Ashley to be better than. Like I don't need my wife to be better than. I, you don't need your husband to be better than. Like if Jesus is enough, and what happens is if Jesus is always better than, if Jesus is the greatest thing that I can ever have in my life, then Ashley no longer is comp- is competing to fill that hole in my mind and that hole in my chest. And a lot of times what we're seeing, especially in people that love Jesus and are passionate about Jesus is when they become distant from Jesus, they become distant from their wives and they start telling us that they just don't fulfill what it is in my life that I need anymore. No, the problem is you're not allowing Jesus to fulfill what it is you need in your life. And in not allowing Jesus to fulfill what you need in your life, that person makes you feel empty. And so what happens is, and this is applicable to teenagers too, because you're going to get to the point, I just don't feel like this person's the right one for me or whatever. As you get older, let me tell you something. If Jesus isn't the first person in your life, if he's not the most important thing in your life, no one's ever gonna be good enough. And we sit down with people all the time. Pastor can tell you, anyone that's ever done counseling or marriage counseling can tell you is that people come into all the time and they say, they're just not satisfying my needs anymore. Like they're just not enough for me anymore. And the problem is it's not, it's that they haven't changed. That person standing with the one that can be enough has changed. I told you reflection. And we have to allow Jesus to be the very thing that we cling to no matter what.